The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Scott Black Johnston during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Dr. Black Johnston. Let us pray. Gracious God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, send to us hope and light in this season. Open our hearts and our minds so that as your scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, we might hear with joy what it is that you are saying to us this day. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm wondering if any of you in recent days have found yourself humming Christmas carols. Walking down the street, sitting at your desk, scrolling through spreadsheets, doing the dishes, have you been surreptitiously fa-la-la-la-lying? When did you start doing this? Thanksgiving? Right after Halloween? This past summer, I was stacking logs at our cabin in Minnesota and realized I was whistling Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Christmas in August, I know. I am a Christmas geek. I also know, looking at you, I'm not alone. Others out there have carved these tunes on their hearts. This year, as we walk the path of Advent, making our way toward the celebration of Christmas, Fifth Avenue Church is asking why. Why is this music so important to us? Is our fondness born out of nostalgia? Surely that's a factor. These carols stir up vivid memories. We can picture the faces of loved ones standing alongside us, smiling in the glow of candlelight, trying to hit all the notes on Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Still, there's more here, I think, than precious memories and warm fuzzies. The best hymns and carols are honest. They whisper deep truths to us. They, they unfurl angels. They, they light torches. They, they guide us through dark places. They, they remind us about what matters. They point to the reason for the season. The best carols graft us into a story edged with hope, brimming with love. Today, on the second Sunday in Advent, our attention turns to one such carol, the carol just sung by the choir. Good King Wenceslas recounts the tale of a, a magical excursion made by a medieval ruler in the midst of a winter storm. Why is this old and a little bit strange story so popular? 
This morning, as we consider the saga of the good king, let us begin by listening for God's word. Let us turn, as we always do during the season of Advent, to the writings of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. Listen now for God's word to you. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Don't turn the page. Saw you all turn the page. You're going to want to stay in that page because you're going to want to look at the carol. The carol Good King Wenceslas is a drama in miniature. It's a one-act Christmas play. When the curtain opens, the first voice we hear is the narrator. She sets the stage. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the Feast of Stephen. The narrator describes a beautiful nightscape. It's deep winter, the moon shines on the snow, the frost, while pleasing to the eye, is also cruel. It makes life harder, it adds to the burden of being poor. Peering out his window at this cold reality, Wenceslas notices a man foraging for fuel. The king summons a page. He, he asks for specifics. Who, who is this man? Where is he from? 
The nobleman wants to know more. The page responds, I've seen this fellow before. He lives about three miles from here at the edge of the forest. Well, says the king with a sparkle in his eye, that will be a bracing hike. Fetch me the spiral-cut ham from the fridge and, and bottles of wine from the cellar. Grab some of the wood we chopped last summer. We are going to tromp through the snow over to this fellow's house and see that he has a warm fire in his hearth and a feast on his table. And off they go through the rude wind's wild lament and the bitter weather. Soon, though, the page starts to flag. If you've studied any of the artwork, that's probably because the page is the one carrying the wood. It's been a tough slog for him through the sleet, and it's getting dark. Sire, says the page, I cannot make it. I'm done. Unfazed. The king encourages his companion, you can do this, follow my steps, place your feet in the divots in the snow made by my boots. It'll be easier that way. The king renews their march and the narrator's voice returns to finish the story. Her final words add a surprising twist to this tale. She describes a Christmas miracle. Stepping in the king's indentations, the page finds strength. His feet are warmed by a heat that emerges from the frozen sod. Renewed, these do-gooders continue on their mission of mercy. This, the narrator explains, is the message of the season when you set out to bless others, you will find yourself blessed as well. The whole thing is a heartwarming, or should I say, footwarming story. And we love it. According to FN Magazine, Good King Wenceslas is one of the world's 10 most popular Christmas songs. It's been around since 1853, when Anglican priest and prolific hymn writer, John Mason Neal, first penned the carol and set it to an old, bouncy Scandinavian tune. Ever since, people have enjoyed singing about the wintry outreach of the good king and his page, and the whimsical blessing they receive on the way. What many carolers do not realize, however, is that Wenceslas was a real person and that his story has been around a lot longer than the carol. Václav the Good, Wenceslas in Latin, was born in Bohemia in the year 907. He wasn't a king. He wasn't even a prince. But he was, however, a duke, the Duke of Bohemia. Václav was also a Christian. His faith set his ethical compass, and he was known and beloved by the Bohemian people for his compassionate heart and his outreach toward the poor. Václav built his reputation for kindness and charity, historians tell us, as a relatively young man 
it was all the time he had. Vaslav, you see, had a brother, Boleslav. Boleslav despised Vaslav's Christian faith. He thought it was weak. And Boleslav dearly wanted to be Duke himself. One autumn afternoon, Boleslav came upon his brother in the city of Prague. He drew his sword, hit him on the head with it, and had his henchmen finish the job with daggers. In the year 935, at the tender age of 28 years old, Vaslav the Good was assassinated by his brother, a fellow that Czech historians now call Boleslav the Bad, or if you prefer, Boleslav the Cruel. Shortly after his murder, the church declared Vaslav to be a Christian martyr and a saint. And as is often the case with newly imprinted saints, stories began to circulate through Bohemia about the young man, a medieval preacher with the fabulous name Cosmos of Prague wrote that Vaslav would rise every night from his noble bed with bare feet and only one chamberlain, and he would go around to God's churches giving alms generously to widows, orphans, those in prison, and afflicted by every difficulty, so much so that he was considered not a prince, but the father of all the wretched. These stories were so compelling that Holy Roman Emperor Otto I named Vaslav, even though he was dead, the king of Bohemia. Vaslav eventually did become king. Good King Wenceslas. Today, if you visit Prague, you will no doubt pass by Wenceslas Square. And there you will see the statue of a young man riding a horse, the patron saint of the Czech Republic, the good king of whom millions sing every Christmas. The story of Wenceslas has, I think, a whole lot of wonderful levels to it. It's one part medieval history, one part lives of the saints, one part urban legend about a ruler walking barefoot through the snow to deliver help to the poor and the alms to those in prison. And those factors alone may explain why good King Wenceslas has been so popular as a carol. But this morning, I, I want us to explore this story a little bit further. I want to talk about the truths that lurk in the verses of this old song. And that's what I've got left for you this morning. Three truths from Wenceslas and a story, and then I'll sit down. You like it when I make it that clear. It's like, how long is this going to go? Three, story, done. Truth number one. I find it interesting that the story of Wenceslas centers on a young fellow. This past week when I went searching for artwork featuring the good king, almost every painting that I found online depicted him as an old guy, a Santa look-alike, white hair, white beard. The king died when he was 28. So why do artists age him? Well, maybe it's out of ignorance. Maybe they don't know the story. 
but maybe it's because they assume that a person needs to look old, to be old, to achieve sainthood, to be holy. Here, Venceslas the Good speaks a different and important truth. The exuberance of the young can in this season point us to faithfulness. Rather than engaging in another tired debate about public policy, rather than falling into cynicism about failed attempts to help the poor in the past, Venceslas acts. He doesn't farm it out. He doesn't throw up his hands in despair. He gets personally involved in trying to help impoverished people in Bohemia. Venceslas reminds us that the exuberance of the young has a place, a sacred place in God's plan for this world. This morning, in our reading from the prophet Isaiah, we listen to this famous prophecy about the coming of God's chosen one. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. I wonder if we've heard that passage so many times in the lead up to Christmas that the scandal of it no longer snaps us awake. God is sending what? A child? God is sending a child to heal the stark divisions that exist in the world, to bridge the gap between predators, the lion, and its prey, the lamb, to bring peace to our never-ending ingrained conflicts. Truth number one, youthful exuberance and the innocence of children are worthy lights for our path in this season. Venceslas reminds us that at the heart of our Advent journey is the crazy conviction that God's plan to redeem the world begins with a child. Truth number two. Now, truth number two is brief. It may also be the most important truth embedded in this carol. I think we sing Good King Wenceslas with gusto because deep inside we are all looking for a good king. Somewhere coded in our social DNA, we yearn for a good leader, a sovereign who is honest and wise, an authority who is fair-minded in dispensing justice and gracious in governance. Our heart's desire may be enhanced by the current political mess, but, but this longing has been around for millennia. In the time of Isaiah, the people yearned for a ruler who was filled with God's spirit. Listen to today's text again. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see 
or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Truth number two, when we read Isaiah, when we sing good King Wenceslas, we are giving voice to something that we crave. Send us, O God, a kind and gracious, honest and wise ruler. That is what Advent is all about. These candles, these pyramids, this greenery is all to remind us of the one for whom we wait. Truth number three. We embrace Good King Wenceslas as a song, I think, because there is grace here. The Good King in this story does not exploit human division. He bridges the gaps between people. You know how the carol goes. When Wenceslas looks out his window, he sees a poor man gathering wood. He does not pull the shade and turn away. He does not tweet out generalizations and stereotypes. Wenceslas responds with concern and curiosity. The good king asks, yonder peasant, who is he? Where and what his dwelling? Now that might seem like a small thing, but it is not. If I were to identify one cultural dynamic at the heart of America's current political and social discord, I would point to this. We have a crisis of empathy in this country. We struggle to understand and to care about other people's struggles. And our politicians are not helping. Too often, they use language to destroy our capacity to care about others. They want us to psychologically dismiss others. These people are deplorable. Those refugees are all criminal. It's shockingly easy to fan the flames of prejudice and to corrode human empathy. Why should I care about you and the challenges you face? After all, you're a criminal. You're deplorable. Sociologist Mark Dunkelman in his book, The Vanishing Neighbor, takes this argument one step further. All this acrimony, says Dunkelman, all this acrimony means we are less and less likely to engage our neighbors, our real neighbors, like the people that live like the door down from us. We don't want to risk an encounter with them. We don't want to risk an encounter with people who might have different political views, a different way of speaking, unfamiliar backstories. We've decided in this country that people who disagree with us are not simply folk with a different perspective, but are people who represent a danger to us. We no longer have confidence, says Dunkelman, in the average goodwill of the stranger. But not Wenceslas. 
The good king doesn't brand the peasant gathering wood outside his window a deplorable or a criminal. He quickly identifies the man as a fellow traveler on the difficult road that is life, a person who deserves compassion, a child of God. I think that's why we like to sing this carol. Wenceslas awakens our hearts to God's calling. The patron saint of Bohemia invites us in this season to have empathy. In an article about the power of art in this month's Atlantic magazine, Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame writes, I believe great art is like bypass surgery. It allows us to go around all the psychological distancing mechanisms that turn people cold to the most vulnerable among us. Great art is like bypass surgery. This is what Wenceslas does. This is what God does. Truth number three, in this holy season, as a pregnant woman and her working class husband wind their way toward Bethlehem, toward a town that will have no room for them, God is at work. God is working overtime to unclog our arteries, rotorootering out the cynicism, the anger, the prejudice, the toxic and downright false rhetoric that would prevent our hearts from caring. Yonder peasant, who is he? Where and what his dwelling? Okay, one story and I'm done. A few years ago in 2016, a man named Gilead walked into this church and began attending worship. Eventually, Gilead sat down to talk with our director of outreach, Seamus Campbell. Gilead, it turns out, was from Brazil. And he came to this country because he believed that it was God's plan for him to seek worship here. But the problem Gilead faced was that he was here on a visitor's visa and without a green card, it was very difficult, impossible for him to find work. Without work and precious little money, Gilead revealed to Seamus that he was living at LaGuardia Airport. I asked Seamus, why LaGuardia? Personally, I try to spend as little time as possible at LaGuardia. Well, said Seamus, at the airport, Gilead was out of the rain and the snow and the heat. And it was also a place where he could blend in. Everyone at LaGuardia assumed that Gilead was just another traveler. He could exist at the airport unnoticed. And that was the best that Gilead thought he could do. But in the providence of God... Gilead and Seamus found each other. And Seamus, as you can imagine, noticed him. He recognized Gilead. To Seamus, Gilead was not a random, sleepy-looking traveler or even another lazy, homeless guy. To Seamus, Gilead was a neighbor 
worth knowing, a fellow with a story worth hearing, a child of God worth caring about. Over the last three years, Seamus and Gilead talked a lot. Along the way, Seamus helped him get housing at the New York City Rescue Mission. Seamus talked with Gilead about God's plan for his life. Seamus got Gilead reconnected with his 80-year-old parents in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And then, about a month ago, Gilead came to Seamus and told him that he felt like he had a new calling from God. He felt called to go home and care for his parents. So two weeks ago, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, this church purchased Gilead a plane ticket to Brazil. Gilead has, we know, arrived home safely. He has been reunited with his parents. And he wrote the following in an email to Seamus that we received this week. Thank you for your help, support, assistance, patience, and conversations, sir. Thank you for allowing God to bless me through your ministry. Church, you didn't know, did you? That through Seamus, you've already been tramping through the snow this season, following the footsteps of good King Wenceslas. In his master's steps he trod, where the snow lay dinted, heat was in the very sod which the saint had printed. Therefore, Christian folk, be sure, wealth or rank possessing, ye who now will bless the poor shall yourselves find blessing. I know it seems like cruel frost is everywhere out there, but I also know you. You can feel the goodness in this story. You can feel the warmth seeping up through the frozen sod because it's Advent. It's Advent, my friends. God is on the way and there are blessings to be shared right up to the feast of St. Stephen and beyond. Go from this place out into Advent following in the footsteps of the good king, trusting always in the love of God, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and clinging to one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646 
Thank you and God bless.